0: You are the master of your reality. This is even more true in relation to the government. Democracy doesn't just happen. It takes participation. Governments need participation and feedback from their citizens. Join Rob Hutchinson for Dear Parliament, where you get to understand the issues and engage directly with government. Dear Parliament is every Wednesday at midday, only on 101.9 High FM.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to yet another edition of Dear Parliament. Now, of course, this is the show in which I attempt to bring you the many happenings and the live action going on in Parliament closer to you. Oh, if you're new to the show, welcome. You know, just sit back and relax, grab some lunch snacks and enjoy the conversation that I will have in a few moments with our guest. If you feel like participating... Please do. And you can do so by sending an SMS to three four five one nine at any time during the show. That's three four five one nine. If you if you need if, if you need more than 160 characters, then why not send us an email? Uh, you can send an email to the studio and you can send it to at, at on air at highfm.com. Let me read that again for you. It's on air at chai.fm.com Also, if you want to catch up on previous shows, they are available as podcasts on Spotify or on our website at www.chai.fm.com Now, I'm going to say, there's a lot going on in in the world, not just in South Africa, but in in the world in general, in politics and uh, civil society and everywhere else. And, going through twitter timelines is becoming more and more more and more depressing in fact i had the strangest thought uh, earlier on today and maybe it was a bit of panic brought around brought about by fear uh, probably irrational fear as well and that was that the world might just end pretty soon <laughs> but but seriously uh, what what strikes me as as quite terrifying is What's happening in 2024? We have the U.S. elections, which will which will no doubt be uh, rather interesting and rather eventful. And especially what's going on around uh, Trump? Is he making a comeback? What's the action on him right now? Hey, what are the latest updates? Why are they raiding raiding his residence? What are these documents? And and so on. A lot of speculation flying around. And a lot of speculation around the reasons why. Oh, are the Democrats afraid that Trump will be running again in 2024? Will he be running again? Far too many questions at, at this stage. However, it does certainly look like there is some activity on on that front. Uh, in fact, I saw a, quite an interesting promotional video around released by, by Trump on his social media platform, which definitely indicated that he is... Interested in running again is talking about America and really making presidential comments once again. So let's see what, what happens. And 2024 also brings about the South African elections. And boy, is that going to be fun. As we, as we've seen, I'm sure you really know listeners that the ANC stands a real chance of uh, getting below 50% in, in these upcoming elections, which It poses some good points and some, some bad points. Will, will we see a coalition government? No doubt we will. We see a coalition government forming to unseat the ANC from their, from their majority. Will the ANC actually get below 50%? Well, everything so far indicates that they will. Even their internal polling is, is looking pretty bleak with, with a, a trust in Ramaphosa. Dropping quite low, and especially around the file of issue of uh, money being found in, in a mattress or was it a couch? I guess we won't really know what it was. Nonetheless, it was stashed, stashed away. But another tweet that I saw this morning around the file of issue was that it wasn't actually for m- Billion dollars, as everyone had expected. It was only $600,000. Now, really, that really makes no difference in, in my opinion. It's, nonetheless, it was undeclared income and the president should be account, be accountable for that. Will we see, uh, Ramaphosa's Al Capone moment where he's nabbed by the tax man? Well, let's, let's see if our, uh, SARS, South African Revenue Service, Actually has the guts to do, do something around that. Or if any action is taken at, at all, you know, whether it's $1 or $100 million, it makes no difference there at, at all. And on the international scale again, you know, will we see a new pandemic? There's been a lot of talk about new things coming up and uh, new viruses emerging and new measures and regulations around them, around them too. Will we see an escalation in, in global war? Will the issue in the Russia-Ukraine NATO conflict escalate? Who knows at this stage? There are too many conflicting reports and too many contradictions flying, flying around as well. However, it does seem that the catastrophes or potential catastrophes are happening quite far north. Perhaps it's, it's South Africa will actually realize that South Africa is actually quite a good place to be. Far away from from it all, will South Africa be safe from it all? Well, let's hope so. Indeed, well, the only thing that we can do is actually make our our country better for ourselves. We, as we, as I said, we don't know what's going to happen in twenty twenty four. So, let's make sure something good happens. And of course, only we can be up. To, it's only it's up to us to actually do that. And another issue that continually arises is. Uh, information and how we get information. And if you look, just go through any social media post or timeline, you can see there's constantly conflicting information that's that's flying around. How do we deal with such types of information? Well, there are several new government measures out there that propose to deal with this, uh, some good, some bad but definitely something that you should have a look at and of course you can always comment on these these proposals on the dear south africa website which offers you a lot of um, information and an opportunity to have, have your say and influence bills before they do they come in come in into force and on that front there are an unbelievable amount of bills in front of parliament currently uh, estimates are that they're around about 50. In fact, uh, it's a fact; they are 50, not just an estimate. Which is an incredible amount of um, of legislation that the public has to go through, that all the committees have to go through, and everything has to be ironed out so that good policy can can be formed. Uh, I don't envy the committees at the moment. They have just returned from from a break, and no doubt. This time in in Parliament, which is actually their third term, will be incredibly busy. And let's keep them busy. Let's keep commenting on on bills. Let's keep having our say, and let's get our MPs working as as they should do. And on that note, we'll be uh, chatting to Hidion uh, Jaber after the break in another edition of the News Behind the Headlines, where we go through a couple of headlines, because we know that people out there, including you, dear listener, don't read past the headlines. Well, not many of you do. Maybe perhaps some of you do, but not many generally. But don't worry, that's why we're here to take you through through that, so you don't have to read the news behind the headlines. But before you do that, really sit back, relax, and grab some lunch,
0: You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson. Because democracy doesn't just happen.
1: Indeed, democracy does not just happen. In fact, it takes a bit of hard work. But don't worry, there are organizations out there that do the hard work for you. And one of those is Dear South Africa. And joining us uh, today is the CEO of, of Dear South Africa for another edition of the News Behind the Headlines. Welcome, Gideon Jubei. I trust you are well.
2: Rob, good afternoon to you and the listeners, and it's always a pleasure being here. And uh, we've had an interesting start to the week already, by the sounds of it.
1: We certainly have. We certainly have. Tell us more about it. So
2: lots going on in in Parliament, according to the Parliamentary uh, Monitoring Group, and I think one of the most sort of relevant and and definitely probably one of the most well-publicized things coming up this week is the Women's Day and (coughs) Zama Zama debates, and that obviously ties in with that rather horrific incident uh, in Krugersdorp. At uh, the hands of the illegal miners, the Zomazomas, that I think has has kind of had the entire nation talking for the past few weeks. What will come of of this debate? Who knows? It's uh, it, it's not very articulately expressed. It basically says the the session will see delegates come together with ministers, including mineral resources and energy and provincial MECs to hear about their plans to address illegal mining and restore law and order in the affected communities. And I think what's worrying about that statement specifically is that we, we've seen the communities themselves mobilize the past week and, and quite uh, vigorously so into to some aspects violently so. And it's quite easy to assign sort of... Uh, scorn for for these vigilante actions to the communities but when one bears in mind that uh, this is a reaction to not only a public loss of faith and trust in the authorities to keep them safe but also you'd say almost a complete absence of said authorities that has resulted in this this public frustration and anger boiling over because i think many of these community leaders have expressed that they feel that they're completely on their own and it's up to them to to make their community safe one should lay the blame for this uh unfortunately or, or rather not unfortunately but but rather clearly at the feet of government that have failed here and i think th- this particular write-up here where it it Explicitly states to restore law and order in the affected communities is an admission that law and order has indeed been lost there, and it has been lost because uh, the state hasn't up, uh, kept up its side of the bargain. I think
1: absolutely, and I think that's that's a very very good point that you raised there. You know, it's what people don't seem to realize is that these Zamazamas are heavily armed, and that poses a, a massive threat to to anyone really that that happens to step in there. What do you think government could actually possibly do about this? I mean, the the call for uh, from from the anti uh, firearm groups is certainly not going to have any effect on on illegal miners, is it?
2: No, not at all. And I think what, when you see the, the types of, of equipment, uh, these, these, uh, Zubba are, are walking around with. I mean, it's, uh, every single video or photo I see, it's an AK type rifle, which is in all likelihood fully automatic. And that has either come across the border from Mozambique or Zimbabwe or has been in South Africa for a long time or distressingly, as we've seen reports of, of these stuff being offloaded, uh, on the, on the shores of near Richards Bay. By container vessels from, from other countries that have just sort of illicitly come dumped to things here. Um, you know, there are so many things one, you know, the government can do and should do to address this. And one is border control for the first part, because the large section of these Amazonas, a large proportion of them are illegal immigrants that are illegally committing crimes. So. Enforcing border controls is, is is a top priority, and it's something that the government and the SNDF has miserably failed at for a very long time unfortunately, no point in mincing words about it. The second is that I find it impossible to believe that with the extent of the crime intelligence and state security agency apparatus in in this country as state captured as it may may be or may have been, it is still very effective, <clears throat> and we've seen. Before the July 2021 unrest and riots that, that shook five metros across two provinces, there were already warnings in state security circles from December 2020 that something similar was imminent. So they had about a seven month to eight month head start as in being cautioned and warned that, that things are, are possibly going to cook off. So our intelligence community is not stupid. They are still very knowledgeable, highly professional people working there and they know where these criminals come from, who they are, where they get their stocks from and their arms from. It's really just a matter of some form of decisive action taking place. And one of the most important and less mentioned parts of it is for policing and police operations to be successful, you need to involve the community in which it's taking place directly. They are the, the primary stakeholder of their own safety is the community. This is something that Sir Robert Peel of the London Metropolitan Police already knew in like the, the beginning of the nineteenth century when he was tasked with an unenviable uh, sort of project of reforming the, the Met because the the London citizenry or or public had lost trust in the institution completely and he had to turn it around and that's where the Pelian principles of policing come from and that is where our concept of modern community policing comes from so there is much that needs to happen and unfortunately talking about task teams and uh, boards of inquiry and speeches on the television and just sort of throwing resources at the problem without direction or strategies is not not what's going to work here. There needs to be a a multi-pronged Approach that is well planned and executed, and it will have results. And unfortunately, our politicians tend to make crime sound much harder and more complicated to address than it is in reality.
1: Yeah, that, that they certainly do. And you know, you, I think you touched on a really good point there, and that is involving the community. I mean, and we don't have to do it through through policing. Or I should say, not only through through policing, but. Have a look at what these the the actually are after and what they're doing. Mining mining the mine dumps for leftover gold deposits if there might might be some. And perhaps that is an issue that we we need to look further into. Perhaps the solution here is not to make it illegal, but to legalise it and regulate it. Yep. And then get them involved in in um, mining the, the dumps, pay them a, a commission or pay them a portion of the value of, of the gold recovered. That seems a, kind of an easier approach to me than uh, policing it, especially since we don't have the resources to actually do that, which, again, places more pressure on, on the community. I wonder if that will be up for discussion in these discussions that you mentioned that are going to take place in, in Parliament.
2: Well, it certainly should be because I, I think you've you've touched on a very important point there by, by by saying that is the fact that a great many of our our crime problems um, are unfortunately regulatory in in origin and and this is kind of where the public gets angry with with people like me saying stuff like this because uh, just because we morally might disagree with with something it doesn't automatically mean that that the activity should be illegal especially if it doesn't violate the the rights of another person, where it becomes interesting in a case like this is you already have a body of people who are clearly willing to take extensive risks in performing a specific task in, in order to, to profit from it or gain some sort of remuneration out of it. I mean, mining a mine dump is not particularly safe. I mean, you're exposed to a whole bunch of potentially deadly chemicals and toxins and poisons. Um, the fighting amongst rival Zama-Zama groups are frequently deadly, clashes with the police and security forces equally are frequently deadly. So you have a very high chance of becoming grievously injured, becoming very, very ill, or in fact being violently killed as a result of this activity. So most certainly I think exploring the... the the options in making it legal or legalizing it and regulating it should be on the table
1: absolutely. It just seems a, a win win situation to me. Government will benefit from from licenses from taxes and and so on the The public will benefit or the the guys doing the jobs will actually benefit because of added income, which again boosts the economy and so on. The companies who are supposed to be mining them will Get uh, cheap labor or maybe not so cheap labor when it comes to mining, but at least the job will get done and probably get done quicker than, than before. And of course the communities will perhaps benefit from, from it as well. And there could be Absolutely. a whole lot of training. And yeah, that's, that's all well and good, but yeah, there's, there's more than just a, a issue around um, the illegal mining of precious yeah. metals. There's, If you look at a certain legislation that's just been put out now, there's a, there seems to be a concerted effort to stop cable theft and illegal trade in scrap metal in South Africa. Department of, of trade, industry and competition has just put out a, a few policy proposals, which hopefully will curb the destruction of public infrastructure. And I think that's a great thing to go. We'd certainly have a problem in, with, with cable theft in South Africa, especially around copper. Do you think this is a, a good, good move by government or is it incomplete?
2: So I'm, um, I'm not the. Correct person necessary to ask about this, but I have some dubious reservations about the policy proposals, not because, uh, as we
1: all do, <laughs>
2: you know, not, not because I think that, you know, scrap metal, um, uh, the unlawful scrapping of, let's call it public metal, like copper cables is not a, a extensive and massive problem. But I, again, I don't think that enacting additional legislation is, is necessarily going to, st- to make this, this go away or to stop it or to curb it at all, especially if you have such a well developed, clearly well developed sort of criminal enterprise and syndicates that are behind this. What, what needs here again, like, like in, in most elements where a law enforcement approach is needed is, you know, you obviously can't legalize people like you can legalize so-called illegal mining. You, you can't let people mine your your copper cables that are, you know, uh, there for a reason. So this is very certainly a, a, a crime-fighting approach that's necessary, and that's again it, it requires crime intelligence, which does exist, targeted operations, and and going after the people and the syndicates behind this. And as many times as or, or a concern that's frequently harbored by people, and, and that we've unfortunately seen. Uh, vindicated far too often is that there may very well be sort of some high-level political connection behind cable theft and illegal trade and scrap metal, and that uh, certain people in in certain government circles who may be benefiting from this might push quite hard or, or use their influence to try and stop any investigations into it. So I don't think policy proposals are automatically bad. I just don't think that uh, as is proposed here sort of stricter ports of entry and border control we've already seen that our ports of entry and border control is is a shambles and, and that needs to be addressed before we make it a matter of a policy proposal the prohibition on the use of cash and scrap metal transactions for example again i don't see how that will be enforceable unless one enforces what already exists amendments to strengthen the second-hand goods regulation well, that would depend on what those amendments are Mandatory permits for importing scrap metal reduction, furnaces and processing machinery, again, also infers that the people who are buying these things are doing so legally. Export There's a lot of talk about permits in here, and I'm going, this sounds wonderful if you look at it from a European point of view. If you look at it from sort of what we have as lived reality in South Africa, I I, I don't think – Temporary bans or permits are going to make any difference in what has become a very extensively developed illegal industry or Absolutely. criminal industry, rather.
1: Absolutely, yeah. You know, what pops into my mind is there should be a, a sort of broad approach and maybe learn from from other sectors, say perhaps the pharmaceutical industry. We could mm. learn learn from there. Every every time you purchase purchase any any medicines, they they're recorded on a central database which. Anyone can can access uh, any pharmacy can access from from anywhere in in the country. Perhaps the same approach needs to be applied to scrap metal dealers. Any sale that they make, any purchase that they make, needs to be validated. Needs to have uh, the details of the of the of the uh, seller and copies of of ID books and so on, so we can understand where this where the stuff is coming from and track it through right through the system. And definitely to – because we know we know for a fact that all of these this scrap metal exits our shores. There, there's no doubt about that. And most of it ends up in China. But how does it get there? That is well, the big question.
2: That is the big question. And and I d- do speak under correction here, but I do believe that. And I don't think – I don't know if it's across the board for all of these types of transactions, but there's already a, a requirement pertaining ID documents and registries – uh, with regards to certain scrap metals. Um, I know it does apply oh, yes. to lead. I don't know if it applies to other types as well, but they, they th- that is already something that has been implemented. Um, a bit of good news though, uh, for, for a change is I, I also noticed that, um, there is a, a suspension, a 12 month suspension on the, the anti dumping measures regarding to frozen bone in chicken portions. So, we will be able now to um clearly import those frozen chickens in bulk.
1: Yes, that is a, it. that is a quite quite an interesting uh, gazette uh, notice in the gazette there. And I'm in two minds about that one, and really, hmm. because as we know, South Africa has been a dumping ground for low quality meat uh, from yes. from around the world, and uh, suspending the anti dumping measures might just promote that that um, wasn't there something about the us dumped oh, oh, millions of tons of chickens here or chicken pieces in on south african shores that were of serious sub, substandard quality and i, I fear that, that that might promote that kind of kind of thing again whether it makes a difference to the south african market or, or not I'm not too sure. I mean, we could certainly do with a reduction in, in food prices, couldn't we?
2: <laughs> well, this is kind of the horns of the dilemma, isn't it? In the sense that, uh, I don't think your concerns are, are invalid. I think, you know, our previous experience with you is dumping on our shores is something that, is a legitimate concern with regards to our own food price inflation, which is uh, quite scary at the moment, uh, especially the, the parts where, you know, you have um, uh, protein prices really nailing the poorest of the poor. This this may well sort of fill that gap temporarily. But like I said, um, we're going to have to wait and see on that one.
1: Without a doubt, we are going to have to wait and see.
0: You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson. Because democracy doesn't just happen.
1: And from fuel price reductions to gender-based violence to critical skills and qualifications, greenhouse gas emissions, water resources, air quality control in priority areas, uh, international relations and cooperation, automotive production development and online marketing. These are just some of the discussion points and bills that are open in Parliament and obviously open for you to comment on and have your say. Uh, I'm chatting to Hideon Joubert, he's the CEO of Dear South Africa, a public participation organization, which does fantastic work, if I might yeah. say so myself. <laughs> Eddie, uh, Hidian, wow, yeah. there's so much going on, on in Parliament here, <laughs> really. What, what, what about this? Uh, where do we start here? Eh? I think there's quite a few that are related together here. Air quality control, water resources. I think maybe a good, pri- a good place to start would be fuel price reductions. Do you think this is sustainable? Do you think we'll really see a reduction or is it just temporary?
2: So this is clearly a, a very temporary measure. Um you know, but that said, the the positive in this is that government has now sort of set a precedent that they are willing to and I use the word subsidize very loosely here because it's actually not a subsidy. A subsidy infers that the government is actually paying in. What they what they're doing is they're temporarily reducing the 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 tax and the levy on fuel, which in in my opinion should have a a separate name altogether. Um, They have demonstrated that they're willing to reduce the the levy on fuel. Now the fuel price is is you know you have the price of the fuel itself, and about thirty eight to forty something percent of the price you pay at the pump is made up out of levies and taxes. The the one being the road accident fund levy, and the other being the general fuel levy, which is you know, an extensive amount. You think if you, if you cut all those levies to zero, you would be paying about half what you're paying for fuel at the moment. And considering how vitally important a productive input in our economy it is, I mean, the, the, the food that, that we plant or harvest or transport by road, uh, everything we transport by road, in fact, is impacted by fuel price. So it, it does make sense. To look at this and we are actually in the process of – we have a campaign that's up and running that calls for people to have their say whether they support an independent review of the fuel price and taxes. And and this is not a new idea. I think the Automobile Association about two years ago already – didn't petition government, but, but suggested to them and consulted with them that this was something that's very necessary, that, that the entire fuel price model needs a, an urgent relook. So the fact that government was already willing to relent with temporary reductions, I think it's time for the public to get involved and, and have their say, because as we've also seen historically, government does respond to public pressure and, and try to make a difference with this, because I think the thought of 30 rand a liter is enough to turn most people's blood cold and if we're talking about potentially 40 rand per liter that, that's probably enough to turn people's blood to ice so um, I, I'd like Indeed. to propose the, the opposite and it's like let's get the blood a bit warmer especially sort of under the collar and and participate in this And um, because at this stage I think only about 5,300 people have had their say and uh, it's a very important campaign I think
1: Yep, I I couldn't agree more, it it absolutely is And perhaps it's not just a Review of the taxes, but looking At alternative measures as Well, we've seen The US going to other Countries begging for oil and such Where yet they are Used to be totally oil uh, And and energy independent they With their own massive resources Of of fossil fuels and, and So on, which can obviously produce petroleum We have Resources in South Africa to do so We should be Also be looking at measures to become uh, Energy, I don't think we could ever become Energy, completely energy independent But at least contributed, contribute Something towards it I'm talking about initiatives of course like Sussell's coal to fuel initiative Perhaps we need to step that up I know I've mentioned that several times before But I still think it's it's a, a Viable viable option and certainly Cheaper in in The long run And if we want to look at boosting the economy, that would be a great way to do it, wouldn't it?
2: Absolutely. And, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other things that, that, that we should have been doing, and the fact that we should not have... Let me rephrase that, we, that we shouldn't have allowed to go to the dogs, and the one was our rail infrastructure, of which I think more than a third of it was stolen and written off during lockdown. And I don't quite know what the remaining two-thirds condition is, but about 77% of our freight... Our land freight is transported by road. And if we got that freight off the roads and onto the rails, we would firstly have far safer roads to drive on. They would be far less clogged up. It would be more efficient. The roads would be uh, damaged less by heavy vehicles, which means less maintenance would be needed or, or, or less regularly, which means that the amount of taxation on fuel would equally be less. And it would reduce prices in other ways. And unfortunately, the government hasn't looked after the rail infrastructure at all. Uh, it has, has rather criminally neglected it. So there's a great number of, of things just, you know, beyond just the fuel price. Um, I like the idea of, of, of coal to to fuel as well. And I'd imagine that the government is quite nervous about the fuel price and energy prices because as, as we've seen in, in other countries around the world – High energy prices are a a major driver of instability and and public discontent. I mean Sri Lanka wasn't purely a result or consequence of high energy prices, but it certainly did feed into it as as it is presently in other places. So it is a problem that can be solved and and it requires a bit of an urgent solution, i think
1: Without a doubt, without a doubt it does. Uh, you raise such a good point there again. It actually reminds me that I recently semigrated down to to the Western Cape, <laughs> and and the drive the, the drive down was it was unbelievable. I've never seen so many trucks. In fact, trucks far outnumber, and I'm talking heavy duty freight trucks, far outnumber the number of cars on on that on that road and on that journey, and. The first thought that came to mind with myself and, and the the passenger that I was, I was with was that why isn't this stuff on a high-speed rail service? Why? It, it makes perfect sense. They drive up and down here yeah, 24 hours a day, non stop, seven days a week, and thousands of all these trucks do, do that, that trip up and down. It makes absolute sense to have a strong rail network na- that can take, take care of that It will solve, uh, as you say, the infrastructure cost It will solve the incredibly high fatality rate we have in South Africa And a whole lot of other unnecessary government expenses and and headaches But does does our transport minister uh, have enough courage to do that? I don't know, I think he still fears quite quite a bit but anyway, we're we'll take a quick break and we shall return shortly.
0: You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson. Because democracy doesn't just happen.
1: And welcome back. And if you missed this show, please be sure to catch up with the podcast, which is available on Spotify or on our website at www.chai.fm. Dot com and I'm chatting With Gideon Jubeir He's the CEO of Public Participation Group Dear South Africa Gideon it has always Been a fantastic chat There's so much to go through Really I, I wouldn't even know where, where to start we could really go on for another Hour He's quite easily <laughs> <laughs> Anything of, of great concern that you can That you can spot You know
2: at, at the moment there's so much actually Going on so I, I suspect that the my my general sort of call to everyone is, is the same as it usually is and it's that please uh give our sort of web platform our domain uh a, a browse, go look at all the campaigns that's on there, go read through them with your morning coffee. Firstly, it, it will educate you pertaining to the latest uh Government proposals that may have the largest impact on your life and as well as empower you to have your say on them as to whether you support them or whether you disagree with them to what extent and what specifically. And and there's a great amount of value in that in the sense that it really does allow Active citizens to co shape this legislation from government, and that that word means a lot of things. Co shaping means that you, you, it ends up in a very different form than it's presently published, or it might be withdrawn in totality, or it might be delayed. Um, there, there, are many such stories and unfortunately, you know, the, the, they don't always get into the news, but active citizens are more important than ever. And I think especially as we move towards 2024, which by all accounts are going to be potentially the most important elections that we've had since 1994, if not possibly even in our country's history, this active involvement from people in their own governance is, is key to, I think, our, our national zeitgeist or the spirit of our time right now.
1: Absolutely. And that brings us to the end of our show, dear listeners. And it's been a wonderful time. And remember, if you want to have your say, if you feel some policy is overreaching, or if it's not adequate enough, or if it's missing some points completely, as Helion says, go have your say on dearsouthafrica.co.za. And thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch you next week. And remember to stay democratically engaged, active and responsible. Ciao for now.